to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Marketed Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers to reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Marketed Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we're proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores, and then the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food systems. Thank you, Market of Choice. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear stories of women in food. We're glad you joined us today. We're honoring our social distancing and it's calling in for the show. As we are a weekly radio show, we think it's important for us to be here with tips, love and stories of hope for all of our maker friends out there. Sarah Missoni, good morning. I I almost can't keep a straight face through any of this (laughs) because you are wearing a box on your head (laughs) to try and come on. I made my own sound studio (laughs) (laughs) to try and have some better sound. Sarah listened to our shows and she decided she didn't like the way she sounded. So she's trying to um, fix the sound. And so she has a box on her head. I will be posting a photo. So the rest of the, you can see what I'm (laughs) trying to get through today (laughs) for this show. Cause every time I look up at the screen, I laugh. So if you hear me laugh for no reason, just know that it's most likely because I'm looking at Sarah's box on her head. Hey, I know how to use my resources. (laughs) I repurposed this box from a shipment I received and it's just making me more sustainable. Perfect. I love that about you. (laughs) Always being innovative. Sarah, I've seen you working your little booty off making lots of sauce. How many jars have you made this last week? Oh, well, you know, so this is my busy time because everything's coming in from my farms. And then especially because the farmers were worried about fire, I um, got extra produce this week. So, um, you know, people weren't sure if their farms were going to survive. It's like we're going through this really crazy time in here in Oregon. But what that meant for me was that I got probably maybe a thousand pounds or more of produce dropped to my door um, as the farmers were kind of evacuating. So, um, so yeah, we've been working really hard. I'm making lots of habanero carrot curry because that, you know, the habaneros are just coming on and then our red chili lime, which uses red um, jalapenos. So very good. um, Yeah. So I'm saucing away for sure. Very saucy. (laughs) Hey, I saw that at kitchen crew, we have guests um, with, Jose Andreas, World Central Kitchen there, prepping food for all the folks that are evacuated and serving the community with firefighting and policing and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm going to post links on our Instagram um, for some resources because that was kind of the food news we had today. So that's one of them. Um, Kitchen Crew is doing. So if anybody, you know, you can always donate money and services, but you can also donate your time. So if you're especially a chef or a maker and um, you have the ability to help out, um, we can connect you to some of those places. So if you hear us talk about any of those things today and you can't find it or you need help finding it, just contact us through our um, Masonian Marshall. Instagram. Yeah. Also, I want to add that some of the people have so many people wanting to volunteer that it might be better to just um, give whatever funding you might be able to give so that they can purchase things that they need. That's a great idea. (laughs) Um, 
some of the places I, I know that are currently accepting some donations is that um, Five and Dime, a lo local restaurant, is doing drop-offs. Their restaurant's closed right now because of the smoke, but they're accepting donations from one to four. And they're taking things like soap, hygiene projects, or products, packaged food, and detergent. Um, and those uh, benefit Don't Shoot PDX and the indigenous people affected by fire. So they're collecting donations there. So you can take things there. And then... Um, Pastrami Zombie and Sandwich PDX, which is local restaurant and food cart, uh, they're making food for firefighters displaced by people. So if you can donate money, you can do that um, through Venmo. You can find the link through their Pastrami Zombie or, or Sandwich PDX Instagram. Um, and then also the Milwaukee Elks Lodge is taking donations of used clothing and things like that. So if you have that to donate, you can donate there. So we'll um, connect you through Instagram to all of those things. But there's a lot of people in our state that really need our help. So there's tons of ways to help. It's not just through money. You can do other things as well. So we'll post those for everybody. And if you have any questions, you can message us. If you ever have any um, thing that you want us to put out there for our food news, you can send us those messages at startupradionetwork.com or you can send us a message on Instagram and we will help spread the word about whatever it is that you are needing or uh, wanting other people to know about. Any other uh, things that you had for food news, Sarah? No. Only that my figs finally got ripe, and I have to admit they are not smoky tasting. Yeah, um, you know, I was wondering if if the produce that we were getting was going to be affected by the smoke. And a lot of a lot of our farmers grow things in hoop houses because that's how you have to grow hot peppers in Portland. So they don't taste any different than normal. But even the stuff that I've gotten out of the garden, we've just washed the ash off that's in the air, and it still tastes great. It doesn't taste smoky yeah. to me. And OSU Extension, I think they put out a memo saying just wash your um fresh harvest stuff really well before you eat it yeah for sure um and sarah last week you were gone That's so right. i wanted to catch up on how your anniversary was because i know you guys usually go out to dinner but you probably didn't do that this year did you no what'd you actually do? we bought ourselves a new bed perfect <laughs> i think that's well, a great anniversary present i mean you know the funny thing the guy at this bed store said we're having so many people coming in and buying new beds because their fifty thousand dollar cars or whatever thousand dollar cars are sitting in their driveway and they just have these crappy beds they've been sleeping in they're trying to figure <laughs> out where their priorities lie <laughs> Um, incidentally, we had our bed for like 21 years, so I think it was time to get a new bed. Yeah, I think that's a great anniversary present. Yeah. Dirk, and, Dirk and I also had our anniversary this week. Yeah, you for did. Years, you went we, somewhere. Um, we did. We went out to the Angela Vineyards um, in the in the vineyard and did the outside uh, wine tasting that our That's friends cool. does That's cool. And it wasn't there. smoky yet. No, not yet. That was pre-fires. But we um, got each other Doc Martin boots for our anniversary. <laughs> 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 I think there's some like traditional thing where you're supposed to do like, I don't know, copper or crystal or something but that's not really our style so we, we just bought each other boots that's cool <laughs> yep <laughs> well i'm glad that you and michael got a new bed i think that's yeah. a good good life improvement for you yep definitely and happy anniversary to you guys. Same to you. you since then. Same yes, to of you. course. So we're not just here to talk about our anniversaries. <laughs> we have a special guest who has joined us today. We're joined by Allie Ball, owner of Allison Ball Consulting and the curator of the Retail Ready course and host of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. Welcome, Allie. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> I guess I should have asked you before I introduced you, but do you like to be called Allie or Allison? I go by Allie. That's yeah, what I, thanks for asking. Yeah, I kind of knew that. But then <laughs> when I go to your website, a lot of things say Allison. And so I, I know, I know. <laughs> it just, it's one of those things. All my friends call me Allie. So go Perfect. for it. Okay, Good Allie it is. <laughs> and we want to connect our listeners to you. So can you give us your uh, social media handles and ways people can find you online? Absolutely. So I am most active on Instagram. 
So you can find me at It's Allie Ball, and that's A-L-L-I-B-A-L-L. So most active on Instagram. And then, of course, I'm on my website all the time. I've got a really great newsletter that we send out once a week, um, and that's just at AllieBall.com. Perfect. And um, we want to help kind of tell your tale. So before you had your consulting business, what got you into doing food consulting? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was a grocery buyer for a long, long time at Byrite 18th Street, um, Byrite Market here in San Francisco, where I am dialing in from. And that was back when it was the single location. Byrite is a family-owned business that's been around since 1940. And my role was to figure out which products we were going to carry on our shelves and help those brands have high sales once we got them there. And you know, this was back... 2008, 2009, when we were in the recession and specialty food and home cooking was just thriving. It was a really fun time to be a grocery buyer. And back then, you know, buy rate was really leading the charge with, you know, um, farm to table food, organic food, specialty food. And it was really a dream account for lots and lots of producers. And so as a grocery buyer, I got to play this really fun role of helping these brands with oftentimes their very first wholesale wholesale accounts. So putting them on the shelf and then helping them figure out all the mistakes they were making along the way. Um, Sarah, I'm sure that you can remember your first wholesale account and all the things that you learned once you actually got on the shelf. So my role was helping those producers and I, I loved it. Um, and then we decided to open a second location by rate to visit arrow, which was about three miles away. And in that, my role totally shifted. I became head of grocery and store manager of that second location. And instead of working directly with producers day in and day out, I was heads down in the PNL statement every single day. <laughs> I was looking at the financials of a, you know, $8 million department and I I'll say I'm I'm kind of laughing because it was it was so valuable and really really important for for me to understand the financials of a business but I really missed working with producers. I missed I missed the reason why I was in the food industry in the first place. So about six and a half years ago, I left Byright and started my consulting business, helping producers understand how to speak the language of wholesale and how to succeed on grocery store shelves. That's great. I do think that you, um, I mean, you brought up all kinds of wonderful things, but um, I think sometimes when you're very first starting and you're getting to know grocery buyers, kind of that that first relationship is really important, especially yeah. if it's your very first store, because you don't, I mean, you don't know anything really. I mean, I didn't even have a UPC on my product when I first, because I, I didn't go to a store being like, I want to be in the store. I thought I was just going to always sell at a farmer's market. I hadn't really like thought about wholesale. And then, um, I had a store who approached me at the market and then they're like, yeah, we want to sell your stuff. Just bring it in. And I was like, okay. And I like had no idea anything. Uh, my yes. prices were all wrong. I hadn't set the business up to do wholesale. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have all kinds of things in place that I needed to have in place. So that, that first buyer helped me figure it all out. And I think that's pretty common if you find a good buyer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, buy right, frankly, buy right doesn't, doesn't really do that anymore. They don't have the capacity. They've grown to this business. That's, that's so huge. And, you know, it can be really hit or miss that relationship with the first buyer. So I, I feel so fortunate that I had that experience and was able to connect with you know thousands of producers in that role. And it was such a special time in the food industry. Do you have any tips or tricks you could share with us if somebody's interested in getting into buy right? <laughs> I feel like that's the number one question I get. Like, but how do I get into buy right, Allie? So I I give the same advice regardless of what store it is. And it's really understanding why buyers bring in products in the first place. And I think this is this is where producers get get stuck because you know you're so connected to your product. You love your product. Of course you do, right? Like this is why you went in business. But and so so oftentimes producers craft this pitch that's based off how delicious the product is, how sustainable the product is, like how, why it's so wonderful. But at the end of the day, the, 
the wholesale buyer wants to know that it's going to succeed on their retail shelf and that it's going to help bring high sales to your category. So whether you're pitching to Byright or you're pitching to Whole Foods or you know Kroger, you want to make sure that you're crafting a pitch that convinces the buyer that you're going to help them achieve their category goals. Does that make sense, Sarah? Yeah, that was a really great answer. And so you really need to understand your category, obviously, and who you're going to sell to. Totally. And, you know, that's, I see a lot of mistakes, right? (laughs) You know, people tend to work with me once they've made a lot of mistakes. And, and so often producers craft a product without understanding their category, without understanding where they're going to fit, you know, in line with their competition, how they're going to connect with their consumer. I mean, they're just... There are so many opportunities for mistakes all along building your your packaged food product. Well, and that's the thing to know is that those mistakes are really expensive. So oh. if I if I like um, you know make a mistake into going somewhere, and I, I don't really have to deal with this a lot, but especially my friends who are um, doing something that's like a fresh item that's maybe in the refrigerator section. I mean, if you make a mistake and you have it in the wrong section, and then you have to buy that product back, it's very costly yeah. for you. And so, or you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen, but that's, I, you know, I wish that, you know, I started the business 10 years ago. There wasn't really a service that I knew of that was like yours where you could do mm-hmm. this kind of thing. I mean, there's stuff like Sarah does at the food innovation center, which is getting your product ready, but it's not getting you ready to present your product to buyers. And I think that that's a really valuable service. Totally Sarah. And, you know, I do want to be really clear that I don't do anything in terms of product development. So I'm not a food scientist. I don't know how to help you extend your shelf life. I don't know, you know, any of that sort of stuff. But what I do know is how to speak to stores, how to create promotional strategy, how to how to get your products on those shelves and how to connect with the consumer once you do. And so I always require that that my participants in Retail Ready are already in production or they're really, really close um, and that they've worked with someone else to understand how they're going to create the the actual product because I don't I'm a I'm a former grocery buyer I don't I don't know how to get in the kitchen and create a product um I have lots of opinions on products but but you know from a um production standpoint that's that's not my strength I just noticed that you said something really important on your website and you said that you help build brands not product lines can you explain to people what you mean by that yeah oh gosh I am glad you picked up on that so When I think about building a product that is going to have long-term success, I think about about it being so much more than the product itself, right? It is, it's thinking about why that consumer, that person who's eating your product, who's pulling out their wallet and paying for your product, why do they do so, right? What, why are they connected to your brand instead of another brand, right? Especially because the food industry is so competitive. You know, we see it. I even think about, you know, 2008 compared to 2018 compared to 2020, it's just getting more and more competitive each year. And, and for that reason, it's so important to create a product that, that creates an emotional connection with your consumer rather than just being a delicious hot sauce or jam or granola. So we always think about it from from the lens of what is that emotional connection that you you are creating with your consumer and that's the base of building a brand. Cuz if we if we just stop with I've got a delicious product, that's only going to get you so far with sales, right? So really you're talking about the difference between thinking something and feeling something, aren't you? Yes, I love that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, you know, I, I said this at the beginning, but it's so easy to fall in love with your own product. And it's so easy to hear that community encouragement telling you that you should start your pickle business or, you know, sell your yogurt. But the reality is that running and sustaining a food business is really challenging there it's it's exhausting it's really slim margins you know there's got to be a reason that is bigger than just the delicious product right and so you'll be 10 steps ahead if you can identify that that 
that big why that that emotional connection um, that your consumers have rather than just focusing on the the tasty product that you're making. Sarah was talking about margins and I was just Mm -hmm. wondering, Allie, do you have like a magical margin in your head that you try and get people to, you know, implement? Yeah. So when we think about wholesale margins that the sweet spot really is in the low 40 percent. So I love to see a wholesale margin that's about 42%. Obviously it varies a bit from category to category, but if you are a, we'll just say if you are a hot sauce, if you're a dry grocery selling off a Metro rack in the middle of the grocery store, as a grocery buyer, I want about a 42% profit margin there. Um, there's a little bit, bit of wiggle room, but that's, that's typically the goal. 40 to 42%. So that's for the buyer in the store. What about the vent, the, the maker? What do you, yeah, oh, that's a, it's a good question too. So Sarah, I, I hate this answer, but I'm going to tell you that it depends, right? I have some clients who are happy with a 20% profit margin and some clients who get really upset when they dip below 55% profit margin. And at the end of the day, it just depends on you and your business model, right? And so I I really hate that answer of it depends, but I, I think that at the end of the day, your numbers have to work for your unique business model. And again, I mean, speaking of mistakes that we talk about a lot, so often producers are afraid of the numbers or don't want to look at at the numbers on a regular basis. But um, at the end of the day, your profit margin has to work for you. I think too, it depends on what size your business is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yeah. those 20% numbers are good for people that are moving tons of product, you yep. know? So if you're going into all the Costco's and Safeways and things like that, it makes sense and it can work yep. for your business. But I think if you're a small maker, you know, like myself or, or other people that are just doing all everything on their own, it needs to be more like 50% yeah. because yeah. you, um, you know, you need that capital where if, if you're a big company, you usually have it from some kind of investor or something yeah. like that. But for a small, it, so it just kind of depends on your own personal business. Yeah, absolutely. And they'll, you know, it'll vary season to season and year to year as well. But I think at the end of the day, like you've got to be intimate with your numbers and understand what's going on with your own books. So yeah, yeah. for sure. People hate that answer though. They're like, Allie, just tell me a target. <laughs> just tell me what my margin should be. But it, it I know you uh, can read a lot of articles in the business journals telling you what to do, but when it right comes right down to it, you got to figure it out yourself. Yeah. 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 And then you have to be able to stick with that decision too. You know, I think um, once you sit down and do it, then you can't let people talk you down. Like if you've made the decision that you need that amount of money for your business and you just have to stay with it. Cause I think that's another thing that happens when, um, when companies are very new to talking with buyers is that they're very easily talked out of the amount of money they need to make money. And so they're kind of just giving the product away, but they're like, but I got this new account. But if you're not making money, it's not worth it for you to do. So that's always something that I talk to people when they're first negotiating with buyers is that you you are negotiating and it's okay to say no if it's not going to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's really easy to think that you are that you're making money in your business when you're not, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz you're like, "Oh, look at all this product I'm selling. Like, look at look at how many cases I delivered last week." But if you are like, you know, doing if you're doing it at a loss, it it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Not, it's just exactly. no everybody. It's okay to say no sometimes if it's not gonna work for you. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, I wanna hear about the services you offer, Allie, and I wanna hear about some of your clients that you have. So we'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. Okay, Ellie, tell us about some of your highfalutin customers you have. You have a lot of fancy logos on your website, I noticed. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that you did your homework and we're sleuthing around my website. That's our favorite thing to do. <laughs> I, it makes it makes me happy. Um, so I guess I'll, sh- I'll shout out a Portland brand right now. So one of my favorite retail ready students of this past year, her name is Shelly, and she makes a non-alcoholic beverage called For Bitter For Worse. And she sells them in 750s. And when she she started with me right around, I guess it was right between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So 2019. So gosh, nine months ago at this point, and she didn't have a single wholesale account, but she was getting a lot of attention because non-alcoholic cocktails are just such a hot category. So she came to me and she was like, Allie, like, please help me, (laughs) help me figure out my buyer pitch. Help me figure out what category am I in? Am I in grocery? Am I pitching to the alcohol buyer? Like, who am I talking to? Where do I go in the stores? You know, market of choice wants me and I don't know how to offer introductory pricing, like help me out here. And so, gosh, I, I've just been in love with the relationship with, with Shelly because she came in as someone outside of the grocery industry who just had a really, so three really, really fantastic products in a unique category, in a growing category that, you know, I can, if you guys could see my video right now, I'm like tapping my, my forehead here. I could just see the potential of this product line, um, in really beautiful packaging. And she has just skyrocketed this year. I'm as Portland ladies, I'm excited for you guys to go, go find her products. They're just incredible. I I'm pretty sure they're sold out everywhere, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Depending on the time of this recording, they might be sold out for you guys right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I just think it's right now. Um, but, but they're working on restocking, but I just saw her posts, um, saying that, you know, things are going really well, which is great. I think there was just a big article that was written about her. Yeah. So, so then, she was exactly, she was highlighted in New York times yeah. in, in August. And, you know, she has just COVID hit. Right. And so <laughs> she had to figure out what to do to remain frankly, to remain in business. We had so many producers within Retail Ready who, you know, had to had to pivot and think about their their sales channels and where they were going to go. And so for Shelly, she knew that she wanted to capture online sales, but she didn't she didn't even have a Shopify site set up. She had like a single landing page on a website, like not even capturing email addresses, like absolutely nothing nothing. And sure, sure enough, a couple months later, written up in the Times, and it has just totally you know, um, totally depleted her inventory in a matter of days because of the excitement from one great press piece. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. And you know, one, one other thing that I, that I really admire about Shelly is her commitment. Well, two things, one, her commitment to understanding her target audience. Right. And so when we talked about building this brand at the beginning, one of the things that she did really, really well was realized that there is a segment of the population who chooses not to drink, but they still want that really complex experience that complex beverage experience without the alcohol. So, you know, even from the brand name for bitter for worse, she starts to convey that message to her audience. She makes these complex cocktails that are bitter and savory and just delicious for people who still want to indulge in something like that just without the alcohol. So she has studied her target audience through and through. So she knows how to speak to them. So I really admire that about her. And then second, she she really invested in the branding. Her, her bottles are just these beautiful, like um, botanical images that are just really, really stunning on the shelf. Do you know how she was found by the New York Times? You know, I don't know. Um, I can absolutely ask her. I'm sure she'll DM me back in a matter of minutes if I if I reach out to her. But I, I mean, don't we think- call that. I mean, that's really guerrilla marketing. I mean, you can't yeah. really plan for I that. Don't but think that she pitched to them directly, and I think it. So she's been gaining momentum, obviously, from the the non alcoholic movement in 
in America or globally, you know, that's definitely a big category. And she participated in a couple um, like alcohol-free virtual events and tastings and, and things like that. So she did a, a big pop-up uh, with a couple of big name people. And that could have been, you know, how it's all like connected, right? It could have it just is. been this thread that started a couple of months ago. Yeah. Well, Ali, I wanted you to tell people about the services that you offer so they can be familiar with them because you have a lot of different things that people can access. So do you yes. want to talk about some of those? Yes, sure. So you've heard me mention Retail Ready a couple of times on the podcast, and that is the way that I work with producers. So when I first left Byright, I my consulting was split. Half of my time, I was working with retail stores around the country, helping grocery buyers get organized. And half my time was spent with producers understanding how to connect with these newly organized buyers. And I found, you know, I'm kind of laughing because I found that the buying side was what I was doing at Byright. Like I, if I wanted to continue to work on the buying side, like I should have just stayed at Byright. So slowly I phased over to 100% producer consulting. And I pretty quickly realized that most of my clients had the same challenges. They all got stuck along certain periods, certain stages of growth in their business. And most of them didn't have a lot of budget to hire consultants. And so I knew that I wanted to get these producers together. I wanted to get them in a, in a room together so I could help more businesses at a lower price point. So I launched Retail Ready, my online course, just over four years ago. We've had over 400 brands go through Retail Ready at this point. And that is the way that I work with producers now. So it's an online course. It's always been online. So I feel very fortunate that I've been teaching online for years and years and really have dialed that in. Yeah, um, you probably didn't have to change much with the No. COVID yeah. Switch. So, you know, frankly, the stuff that we had to change was content around virtual pitches rather than in-person pitches and really making sure that we had student like um, curriculum based around the changes with with covid but beyond that like you know i've been i've been teaching online for a long time so so that has again felt very fortunate so, so retail ready um, covers how to craft that brand that resonates with wholesale buyers and consumers, how to pitch to wholesale buyers, whether that's for a traditional brick and mortar store or an online store. We do, we talk a lot about e-commerce these days. Um, and then how to grow your brand once you are on the physical shelf or the digital shelf, how to connect with brokers and distributors, how to put a marketing plan in place, um, how to grow from there. So re like I said, Retail Ready is the primary way that I work with brands. I also, like you said at the beginning, Sarah, I have my podcast. It's called Food Biz Wiz. And you know, that's completely free. Episodes come out every single week. Uh, we just, gosh, this summer we hit our one-year anniversary. So we're already on episode I think we're on episode 60 right now. So same as us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same timing as you guys. Congratulations on that. It's a lot, right? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the monkey in the room or whatever kind of animal yeah. you're after, what is the cost? Oh, of retail ready? Class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't usually say it publicly, but I'm I'm happy to do it here. So retail ready is just under $1,500. And it is, so you can either pay in full or we do a six month payment plan. And I always say, awesome. if you, if you get one new wholesale account as a result it of retail, for it. it pays for it. Right. And it's like, actually, you know what? I think we should talk about your pricing. Just kidding. <laughs> Sarah always I, tells people they need to charge more money. <laughs> I will, so here's the thing. Well, two things. One, Sarah, I've heard your business advice on this podcast in the past. And um, Sarah, when you were talking about being in hot sauce production right now. I was wondering if you started your apple business yet. I was tempted by the pickle apple and like the caramel apple chips that you promised us <laughs> in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> I know. No, this is and the, the grape juice. I you know. Grape I, juice. I did. So, you know, I have been doing much more food production this year than ever, like, uh, you know, outside of my hot sauces, because we have been growing a lot of things. And I know that I can, I fit under some of the pickle bills and things like I can do yeah. certain things, but yeah. it's also like, it's still, I still just have so many other things. So sometimes I don't want to yeah. take away from my current business by coming up with these other ideas, but I also love making cool stuff, you yeah. know? 
Yeah. So you could just like pickle apples on the side, like just for, <laughs> just for yourself. And that's, that's enough. And I yeah. hear, I mean, you know, I gotta say, I hear you and I respect you on that because I will tell you the number one way that I grew my business was to put a stake in the ground and say, retail ready is the way I work with brands. Like, yeah. cause I was finding myself reinventing the wheel for every single client. And then sure enough, I was, you know, pulled in a million different directions and, and not, um, I was just too scattered. And I, you know, I didn't like that. I'm, I'm someone who shows up, you know, a hundred percent of the time for my clients. And I didn't like having to, you know, like switch my brain all the time from client to client to client. So anyways, um, Sarah, I appreciate the, <laughs> the advice to raise my price. And what we did, we actually did raise it at the beginning of 2020. And once COVID hit, we decided to go back to 2019 pricing because it just felt like the right thing to do for, you know, in, in late March when we just weren't sure of what, the future looked like for CPG. And, you know, we're fortunate that our industry has been really resilient. And I got to tell you, retail ready brands have been cranking the past six months, which is really, really wild have. to watch. Yeah. But um, so we're still at 2019 pricing in September of 2020. And I, um, I imagine we'll see the price increase again, uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, one I thing think that's reasonable. Yeah, I well, yeah, and one of one of the things. Last thing I'll say on pricing too is that there are, you know, dozens, hundreds of consultants in the food industry who will charge three hundred bucks, bucks an hour, four hundred bucks an hour, thousand bucks an hour, and I didn't. I was that person for a long time, right? And I found that I the best thing that I can do for our industry is to have a have a product at a lower price point that is just as effective as my one-on-one -on -one work. Um, so that would more people can do good. Right. Yeah. I like that. Well, and I think the thing that's really nice, just so people can kind of understand how it works, is that, um, you know, they can go in and sign up for Retail Ready, but they can do it at their own timing. So it's not like they have to dive in right then and yeah. do it all, you know, all at once or that it's going to, you know, they can kind of do it at their own pace, which I think is really key because no matter what, like, I mean, if I, you know, when I've done your online stuff before, yeah. I'm doing your activities at midnight because that's right. when I, that's when I can do it. But you know, that's the free time that I have. And so I think that that's really nice for your courses. It's not like you have to, you know, if you take um, some kind of course like this, you'd have to go into a class or something at a certain time. Yeah, absolutely. And when I first, I'll tell you the first year that I taught retail ready, we did it as a live course and everybody started on the same day and everybody ended on the same day. And we had, you know, live, live, still online workshops and it was an eight week program. And I found that when when founders got behind, which inevitably happened, right? Like something, something happens and you get pulled away. It was really hard for them to catch up. And so I would teach retail ready like four times a year and, you know, brands would come to me and they would be like, Allie, like, I need you. I'm ready for retail ready. Like, let me in there. And I'd be like, Oh shoot. Sorry. We're in week three. Like we have the same problem at the food innovation center where right now we're changing yeah. everything over to being online. So people can yep. do it whenever they want. Yeah. And, you know, and so I realized I was really doing a disservice both for the producers who needed my help in that moment. And I would tell them to go and get on the wait list and like, you know, cross their fingers that they still needed my help in three months or like, you know, that was bad. And also as a business owner, I was turning away business when people were coming to me with open wallets. And so like that didn't make sense either. So I restructured it a couple of years ago and we changed changed it to um, a program where all of the core course content is on a private course platform. You log in, just like you said, Sarah, whenever you want, you do it at your own schedule. And then it's supplemented by a private Facebook group where my team and I are in there every day, Monday through Friday, answering all of our student questions, and then twice a month live group coaching calls. So we still get a lot of that live interaction that I love doing that I can show up and like be my best self for um, without that pressure of, of being on a specific timeline um, for that founder. 
And I think that's really nice too, to have that live interaction. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, but like when you're a small business owner, especially, you know, on my level, it's always just me working, you know? And so it's like, you kind of need somebody to motivate you, even though like I'm a... I'm a busybody. I'm always doing stuff, but I'm not always doing the right stuff. So even yeah. when I've taken your courses, you you sometimes just need somebody to tell you what to do, which, yeah. <laughs> which Sarah is that person in my life on a regular basis. <laughs> but you also, when I took your course, I was like, oh yeah, right. Like I forgot to focus on this thing. And I wanted to say one thing from the, one of the last workshops I did with you was about um, something that I had never done in all of <laughs> the 10 years, which was to call a buyer on the phone. Do you, remember? <laughs> you were like, Sarah, you need to call a buyer. And I never called anybody because I thought I was bothering them or I was yep. pulling them off the sales floor or yep. pulling them away from what they were doing. So I had never once called anybody. But then after I talked to you, I totally did. Yes. I got the account. I mean, it was like yes. the easiest thing ever, but I Hello. thought they were going to be like irritated with me for <laughs> calling them, you know? And they were like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to connect with you. I just like never answered my email. And I, I love this. Like in year 10, Sarah I know. decides to I mean, pick up the phone. Some, some people oh, don't use email, so you got to use the phone. Yeah. And I always say like, I mean, I'll tell you from personal experience, it's really easy to ignore an email, right? Or you read it on the go and you forget to mark it as unread and it gets lost in your inbox. And so me every day. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And I'm, and I am organized and I want to read my emails and it still gets from time to time, emails get lost in the shuffle. Right. Allie, what do you think about just showing up at a store with your product? No. So that's my number one golden rule. Don't drop by. And so I got to say like (laughs) my husband's like in the other room and he hates it when I say this because he also works in sales. He works in wine sales and his like number one thing is swinging by and it works for him. But I think that you need to exhaust every other resource first before you swing by. And this goes, this isn't just a COVID thing. This is like a a life thing. I've said this for the past 10 years, because if you think about it, you are interrupting that buyer in the middle of their workday, right? When you just swing by like really nice and polite and quick, you are pulling them away from whatever task they're doing and interrupting their workday. So if we think about it, I always use this example, like Sarah, imagine if you're in the middle of production and you're like <laughs> in the, that, that, like, that crucial point in, in prep and someone swings by the kitchen, you know, you're like, get out of here. I don't, yeah. I'm in the middle of, <laughs> I'm in the middle of a shift, like go away. I and send so, my it, husband to deal with it. I'm like, exactly. I can't, I'm busy. Like you got to take care of it. And usually exactly. he doesn't have the answers. And so it never really gets to, you know, exactly. So that buyer, like I'll tell you when I was a buyer, I used to hide in the walk-in all the time <laughs> and I would just send the, like <laughs> the grocery stocker out and be like, tell them I'm not here. Or, like tell, you know, tell them I'm in a meeting, I'm in a meeting, like in the dairy case. Um, because frankly, like I would have dozens of producers swing by every single week. And if I said yes to every single one of those drop buys, it would mean that I wouldn't get my own work done. And so, Sarah, yeah, I think that's a really great question because I think it's a natural inclination to just drop by, right? We are the faces of our brand. Well, that's We're how nice people polite, used to like, do business. Mm-hmm, yeah. Absolutely. But they I didn't think have that, email and they, I mean, you, what, you yeah. send them a fax? Hey, <laughs> I want to sell you my hot sauce. Here's a fax with my order when, sheet. When I first worked at Byrate, I had to fax in my order to UNFI, which yeah. is crazy. <laughs> like I was faxing in like 30 page orders. I was I was alive when fax machines were invented and actually people were putting it on their resume. Fax capabilities. Like you know how to run a fax machine. I love this. I love this. Well, and there I was, you know, like a I don't know. I was in my early twenties and I was like, how do I use this fax machine? But, um, (laughs) yeah, so I I think it, I think it's important. I love the face to face, right. You know, I I think that is really important, but I always say to pick up the phone or connect with them over email. If, if you're Sarah and schedule a time to drop by instead of just 
you know, instead of just winging it, instead of just interrupting. But the schedule drop by is wonderful. Yeah. I have a question for um, any buyers that are listening. So we've done a bunch of buyer vendor meetups. Mm -hmm. Do you like that idea? I like um, in person or virtual. Well, they used to be in person, but now I think they're more virtual. What do you think about that? I, I love that. You know, if you have a buyer community who is into that, then go for it, right? And, you know, I always think it's in, it's important to find opportunities where the buyers are opting in, right? And that's the difference. If you're just swinging by the store, the buyer hasn't opted into that meeting. They're just, they just happen to be there and you just happen to swing by. But Sarah, something like that, an, an organized meetup where that, where that buyer gets to choose, like, yes, I want to go to this or no, thank you. I, my shelves are full. I have no interest. You know, that, that, um, that's, that's great. And then, the, you know, this, Sarah, the last thing I'll say too on, on this note is that every buyer is different, right? Some buyers don't mind if you drop by. I'm sure there's a buyer listening right now who's like, Allie, I love it when people drop by. It's my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Um, so it really, it goes back to doing your research and figuring out, you know, who's, what buyer has which reputation and, and where you should, um, where you should focus your, your efforts. Good answer. <laughs> uh, and Allie, I wanted to mention that you do a, a lot of public speaking. I know you're probably not right now because there's not big public events, but that's actually how we met. We met at the intense conference in San Diego a yes. few years back. Yeah. We were yeah. both presenting there. And um, I wanted to ask what your favorite thing about public speaking is. Oh gosh. <laughs> I have always loved having a microphone and <laughs> being in front of an audience. I will admit that even like as a young kid, like I was always that girl who would like line up the stuffed animals and like make my younger brother sit on the couch as I like <laughs> did the presentations. Um, I, I like the opportunity to connect with a big audience around a single message. And I know that sounds like it's oversimplifying it, right? You know, like that is the definition of public speaking. But I think that there's something so powerful about, about learning from other people and about being in a room and, and absorbing information or being educated on topic that you, again, like choose to go and listen to. I think that's so powerful. And so when I get invited to, to do public speaking, I'm just so, so honored to be that person who gets to share a, a single message. So I, I like that. It, it just feels really, um, I'm just really grateful for, for the opportunities that, that come up. It's fun. It yeah. is fun. especially fun when you say something funny and the whole crowd laughs. Yes. <laughs> That's my I favorite. It. I love it. I, love that. I just love it. Yes. That. My favorite, my favorite speaking opportunity was at the natural products business school at Expo West a few years ago with New Hope. And I didn't really know what to expect, but I got up on stage and it was like I was giving a TED talk. Like they had a teleprompter thing like down where my feet were. And so I just had to like, you know, use the little clicker and it they had this, you know, this room that was like 800 people. It was completely black. So I couldn't see the audience at all, which was wonderful because it, you know, it felt like I was just presenting to myself. And that was just such a professional, like, you know, curated event. Um, that was really a highlight for me. Yeah. I love when you find your audience, you know, cause I think the kind of, you know, the downside of public speaking is that sometimes you're going to talk in front of people that don't care about what you're saying or aren't listening, or maybe there's only like two people there. I mean, I've done yeah. all of those things. Me before. too. Me too. It's, just, it's part of it. But when you really are in front of people that like, you feel inspired by, cause you guys are speaking the same language. Like yeah. that's why I love the intense conference. Cause it's, you know, it's farmer's market makers and people. And so they are there because you automatically you have this shared passion. And so the room mm -hmm. just feels like magnetic, you know, yeah. in a way. And so that's like one of the things that I really like that happens sometimes. Cause sometimes people, whenever people hear that I'm speaking somewhere, they're like, how can you do that? Or why would you do that? But like, that's the whole reason why, because when you have, it only takes like one 
great moment where you have this connection with people to be like, I will do this forever because it is like, I am, I've found my people. They want to hear what I have to say. I'm hoping to like change their life in this positive way. And it's just like super rad. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, the, the important thing that you just touched on there, Sarah, is that I... I say no more often than yes to public speaking invites. And if it is not the right audience or the right, you know, the right venue or the right location, or, you know, if it's a too busy of a season for me, I'll say no, because I've had those experiences of being on stage and my message isn't connecting with that audience. And, you know, it's, it's, it's typically my fault because I'm, I'm presenting on a topic that, either I don't know enough about, or it's, it's the wrong audience in the room for, for my topic. So, um, I think it's really important, like you said, to like find that right, that again, finding your audience and making sure that you're, you're speaking to the right people. Good advice. Ladies, I hate to say this, but we are out of time. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to have, um, one final uh, thought from you, Allie, would be, uh, do you have any advice for uh, new makers that you want to put out there for them? Yes, sure. Gosh, I feel like I've got so much advice for new makers. <laughs> I know that's what you do. <laughs> that's my, that is literally my career. Um, but the, I'll try to boil it down into a single, a single sentence here. I think it's so important to make sure that you are working hard on the right things in your business. It's so, here's sentence number two. It's so easy (laughs) to get pulled in so many different, down so many different paths and try to focus on all the things in your business. But at the end of the day, if you are running your business ideas through this filter of what impact is this action going to make on my business? And is it the right impact? Then you'll go further faster. Good advice. Great advice. Well, Ali, thanks for joining us today. And um, everyone can find Ali on Instagram. And if you are wanting to get into new retail accounts, she is your gal. So talk to her. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Marketed Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store with 10 stores in Oregon. It's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice nearest you, visit our website at www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local so you can too. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. Tune in Fridays at 9 a.m. on StartupRadioNetwork.com or listen to past episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Search for Meaningful Marketplace Podcast. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show or have suggestions for us, you can send us a message on Instagram at Missoni and Marshall. And we will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye for now. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.